Good, good, good. Let's take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. And we're going to pivot and begin to walk into the Word of God. And what we're about to do is walk into a passage that is one of the most famous. I would refer to this message as the master class of Paul the Apostle on how to evangelize to practically anyone that what he's going to do is lay out for you one of the most brilliant ways to share your faith and it's going to be very personal to us while we're also intellectually diving into what the world happened in the ancient world so last week we were together notice that we're in part 31 of our series walking through the book of acts line by line called the empowered church series last time we were together in part 30 We've been tracking this team on a missionary journey, spreading Christianity throughout the world for the first time. We've been following a team of four. It's the Apostle Paul, it's the prophet Silas, it's the protege Timothy, and it's the author of Acts, Dr. Luke. They've been traveling together, at least the four of them, and they've been going through the areas that we now know as Greece. So, as they're traveling through, the last time we looked in at the story, they were communicating with the Jewish people. This is always how Paul did it. Every time he got in a new city, he'd hang out with his people first. That was his headquarters. He's a Jewish man. He would connect with the Jewish people, and he would reason with them from the Old Testament, showing them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We talked about how brilliant that was, that there's 341 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, and we were walking through all that stuff. We handled that last time. What was so helpful about that is we were watching that Paul always contextualizes the gospel to his audience. He tries to make it understandable and relevant to them. What we are about to see is the other side of it. What happens if he's not talking to the Jewish people? When you're talking to the Jewish people, you don't gotta start with, well, there's a God. They're like, man, that is our wheelhouse. We know that stuff, come on. We know everything about the problems with mankind. We know the sin issue. We know we need a Messiah. Just tell me who the Messiah is and we'll debate that. Well, now we're about to jump into non-Jews. When you start talking with non-Jewish people, a lot of them have zero background understanding Yahweh as creator God. So you gotta back the bus up a long way and start talking about some basic stuff. You're gonna watch him contextualize it again. Now, the key thing that I'm gonna highlight multiple times this morning is our job. I highlighted last week, our job is to share the portion of the good news with whoever we come in contact with that will take them the next leg of their journey towards Jesus. That is our responsibility. Why do we share our faith? I mean, we better get this right. We got to get our motivation right, right? Why do we share our faith? Well, Jesus told us we had to. No. That's wrong. Now, is that true? Yes. And if you're resistant, maybe you need to get busted. Okay, cool. But the reason why we share our faith is because it's kind and loving to do so. Why? If you're in a building that's on fire and you know the exit, it's kind and loving to share that information with other people. If you keep it to yourself, you're kind of a weirdo. 
Does that make sense? In other words, you got a whole world and everybody we're gonna come in contact with has challenges. They have things in their heart that are not right. They have frustrations with life. They have disappointments. Why in the world, if you barely know how to make it through life as a Christian, why wouldn't you want them to have those same blessings? Why wouldn't you want them to be filled with hope, them to be filled with power, them to be filled with the Holy Spirit to help them navigate a complicated life? That's why we share our faith. We're not getting brownie points. I need a bigger mansion in heaven. Shut up. <laughs> we, are, we are not doing this to try to earn brownie points and somehow be cooler than everybody else. We share our faith because it's who we are and because it's loving and kind. The minute we get out of the loving and kind and we're just trying to be right, something's messed up. Y'all, we share our faith. We evangelize because it's the right thing to do. Do you not care that the people around you hurt? And if they hurt, should you not bring whatever you have? So really our responsibility, you will never come in contact with anybody on this planet that God has not already been in contact with. It's not your idea, you didn't start it. God has been loving them since they were in the womb. God has been whispering to them and encouraging them and bringing about vision and giving them the disappointment that if they're not attached to him, he's been calling them. You will never get in contact with somebody cold. Our job is to discern where in their journey they are. Look in our big bag of good news, take the portion that means something to them, hand it to them and say, Jesus is this way. That is our job. How in the world will we ever know where somebody is on their journey? It's fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, right? So once again, if you're watching online, you guys gotta fire that stuff up, right? You gotta get the app going, you can get the fill in the blank. I'm gonna give you some notes to take here in a moment, so make sure you're ready to write down. Fill in the blank is this. We must listen before we speak. We must listen before we speak. Now I'm gonna give you some uh, bits of wisdom here, and I, I would just encourage you to write these down in whatever fashion. But I truly believe the single greatest tool to build relationships is the ability to ask meaningful questions. The single greatest tool to building relationships is the ability to ask meaningful questions questions. The second greatest tool is to listen to their answer in a meaningful way. Now, if you cannot do this, if you do not learn the art of listening well, you will struggle to make connections with other people. If you've ever had a hard time with friendships, if you had a hard time with relationships, this is going to be at the core now, we could use the most obvious example. Let's say you go to coffee with a brand new person. You're just getting to know them. They sit down, you guys hang out for about an hour and 15 minutes. They spent the entire time talking about themselves. When they leave, they feel somewhat connected to you because they just shared personal information. You do not feel connected to them because they never asked you a thing. And what you'll end up doing is reading that as selfishness. Now, normally, we don't mean it as selfishness. We actually, that's just a dysfunction in not knowing a skill of communication. But it's read a very unusually. 
We have to learn this art. Ask questions that matter, not just random questions, not just any questions, but meaningful questions. And then when they speak, you actually have to listen to the answer in a powerful way. Well, how do we do that? Well, I'm just going to give you three tips on listening well. If you want to write these down, write these down. Here we go. We'll go through them really fast. Uh, I believe that in order to listen well, we need to have these three mindsets at least going in our head. Number one, write this down, concerned love. Concerned love. We have to be interested in the party that we are talking to, and we have to want their best. That is where our heart should begin. We're interested in them, and we want their best. Because here's what's intriguing about it. We use the word love for about everything around here, right? I mean, we say love, 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 love. There's lots of different ways that you can care about somebody or love somebody. And we even say things like, I don't like you, but I love you. You know, st weird stuff like that. <laughs> the famous quote was, we love our car, we love ice cream, we love our wives, hopefully not in the same way. Does that make sense? Because you use the word love in such weird ways. All right, so I put the kind of the adjective concerned love because the type of love you have to walk into a situation to listen well is you're concerned about their best interest. You actually have an interest in them doing well. If you have that, it's a beautiful place to begin, all right? Number two, write this down, unselfishness, unselfishness. We must be able to carve out space where it's not all about us. Can we do that? Because if we can't, we're going to struggle in relationships, right? Can't be all about us. It's got to be able to be about them. If we are operating from our dysfunction or our neediness, we will distort the words that are coming out of their mouth. What do I mean? The most popular word right now is triggers. Yep, everything's triggers. If you're being triggered off what they're saying to you, it's still all about you. If it's about them, you're saying, because you're coloring everything they're saying. Oh, they're talking about something that was difficult in their life. Oh my gosh, they're saying, I don't measure up. Whoa, 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 nobody even said anything about you right now. This isn't about you, this is about them. Can we make it about them for a little bit, right? Until we get into that other's centeredness, we will keep distorting conversations and will react. One of the worst things you can do is say the phrase, oh, I know what you're going through. That is a really terrible phrase because it's well-intended and it has a horrible result. Because here's what you actually mean. I too have gone through difficult times. I'm trying to emotionally meet you there. That's actually what you mean. But when you say, I know what you're going through, it says, whatever you have is not very complex. It's pretty simple. I figured it out. And I've probably gone through something worse. So your pain isn't that bad. Does that make sense? So in order to kind of avoid a lot of those pitfalls, when we are trying to meaningfully listen, it can't be about us. It has to be about them. Number three, write this down. Cautious agenda. Cautious agenda. You know, what we want to say is the best way to meaningfully listen is don't have an agenda. I just don't think that's possible. We do have an agenda. 
If we don't have any agenda, we'll end up affirming things that are not true, <laughs> right? Because if you're all in the conversation totally about them, glued to what they say, you may agree with something horrible, right? They're like, man, I am, I am struggling with stealing. And you're like, yeah, you got to steal more. And they're like, what did you say? And you're like, I don't know. I wasn't listening to me. What did I just say? They're like, I think you said I need to steal more. And you're like, that does sound weird. Great point. Okay. No, no, no. We do have an agenda. Our agenda is to be life-giving. That's actually our agenda. And it should steer a little bit about what we say and what we don't say. We're trying to be life-giving, right? That means that we're not going to affirm bad behavior. We're not going to encourage or enable in wrong ways. What we're going to do is we're going to say, what do they really need? And how can I get that to them? How can I affirm them in the right ways? How can I approve of good things? How can I lead them into the way of Jesus? These are actually an agenda, but what it requires is we're constantly compensating for our bias. We got a bias in everything. Another thing that Christians do, which I'm really gonna ask you to really work on, is we show shock and horror on our face. Okay, if you're talking to somebody that is non-religious and they start talking about their lives, please control your face. <laughs> They're like, so, dude, the other day I was totally thinking about God, right? So I was like, I was smoking a bowl, right? And then, I'll, and we're like, what? Oh my gosh. And then we have like cartoon eyes. Okay, you just shot the whole conversation. What you missed was I was thinking about God the other day. Can we please let that one kind of come through, right? As opposed to, <gasps> okay, okay. Even if you are a little tripped out, just control your face, right? Just kind of inside, go, right? <laughs> you can have like a little tick or something like that. That'd be great, all right? But, but once again, the idea is that they're going, wait, now we're throwing a whole other thing into the conversation. Oh, wait, now you're, you're too much of an amateur for me to talk to you, right? So once again, Cool our jets, are we about where they're at? Let's try to find out, what, listen for their heart, listen for their heart, listen for their heart. That's how we get there, okay? Now, here's the other thing about this whole cautious agenda. You cannot listen well if you're prepping your next question. Because here's kind of how it goes. Oh, I came up with a good one, right? Hey, how's your life going? Ooh, nailed it, okay? And then the minute they start to respond, you're like, oh shoot, that was my only question. <laughs> What is my next question? Well, I don't know, what are they gonna say? Oh, this is getting very complicated. You're not listening. You're prepping. And the reason why you're prepping is you're afraid that there's, it's gonna go cold. You're afraid that it's gonna be awkward, right? They're gonna finish talking and then you'll have to stare, <laughs> right? Now, there are some of you in this room or maybe listening to this broadcast where you suffer from what I suffer from. It's called the talk too much syndrome. <laughs> some of you have the same condition. Right? I had to learn the art of listening because uh, I'm very uncomfortable with silence, at least I was in the past. And so I would try to fill it no matter what, because this whole thing where we're going to stare at each other is not working. Right? And out of that fear, I would fill it with dumb stuff. Right? The, the, here's the truth. The truth is sometimes silence allows more to come. Right? And I know that for all you that are quiet, you're like, I know. That's why I'm quiet. Anyway, for all us talkers, we're like, mind blow. Okay? Okay. 
Because when we're afraid that we're gonna end and it's gonna get all awkward, what if, for example, they were sharing about their lives and they thought, oh my gosh, I shared too much, and then they stop. Honestly, if you give them a little bit of space, they may go, oh, I can keep talking. You don't have to immediately fill it. So let's say it did go silent and it was awkward. Is that the worst thing that could happen? Let me encourage you on this. If you are a child of God, you automatically have the indwelling Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, he's really good at this. I want you to be more peaceful that if you are in the moment, listening to the conversation, tracking on their heart, he'll come up with something to say. Something that they just said will trigger something in your mind and you'll come up with something else. If you don't, then he actually wanted the silence, okay? Let a lot of that pressure go. I don't need to prep everything. I can just be here in the moment, amen? So I believe very much so that when we develop this art of listening well, we can then have a shot at discerning where they're at on their journey with God, match the portion of the gospel that goes with them, and they move forward towards the Lord. There is nothing scary about true evangelism. I'm going to talk about it a lot today. I'm going to talk about it a ton next year that we need to be sharing our faith, sharing our faith, sharing our faith. But some of us grew up in the church, and when we hear the word evangelism, we think of a couple things. We think, walk out of your house with a predetermined agenda, ask awkward questions, and ruin relationships. And we're like, I don't want to do that today. Okay, I don't want you to do that either. I think there's a better way. Almost everything that I'm going to talk about with evangelism has to do with establishing relational connections, establishing relationship, being the full version of you, the better version of you, having meaningful conversations, talking about deeper things. Are those always comfortable? No. Are they good? Yes. Are they what you were built for? Yes. We can do this. It is much more normal than you might imagine. Let's watch how Paul does it, and he will blow your mind. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. If you need a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's page 926, 926. That'll get you there a little bit faster. It's very helpful in a learning style to kind of follow along with me with your finger, and then when I pause, you just pause, wait there, because being able to visually see it and hear it, you'll also be able to know what notes I'm adding and which ones I'm just reading straight through, okay? Let's go ahead and dive into it. Now, while Paul was waiting for his buddies to show up, they split up last time, he was waiting in Athens. Athens is in what modern-day country today? Greece, okay? His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the God-fearers or devout persons. That means people that worshiped Yahweh but did not go through the classes and the processes to be a full Jewish convert, but they were very religious towards God Almighty. He also reasoned in the marketplace every day with whoever happened to be there. All right, let's pause. Paul did not wait for God to set up the perfect scenario to share his faith. Because here's kind of 
how many of us, especially those of us that are introverted, we feel. God, I have no problem evangelizing. I'm going to sit in the back booth of Panera Bread, and if someone comes and asks me, what is the road to salvation, I will tell them. <laughs> okay, so first of all, that's not going to happen uh, unless something radical happens, and if it happens, it's probably the apocalypse anyway, okay? So normally, it's a little bit more messy than that. Paul assumed that life was just sharing your faith. He didn't need anything set up. He was kind of like, well, I'm just being me. And while I'm kicking back waiting for my team, I'm on a missionary trip. I'm starting conversations. It's the whole reason why I'm doing this. So let's go. And he starts to engage. As he's walking around the city, he's looking at their objects of worship. He's seeing idols everywhere. Well, what the heck's an idol? An idol is any representation of something that is to be worshiped. So they would have practical, tangible stuff. Remember, Athens is one of the most storied histories on the planet. Athens, Greece. Now, we're no longer in the Greek Empire. We're in the Roman Empire at this point. So it's kind of waned, but it is still the center of philosophy. The number one thing they love more than anything else is new ideas. The whole idea of sharing and debating and, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. That is their wheelhouse. They love that stuff. And they were the capital of it. Whatever happened there would get disseminated throughout the rest of the world. Let me give you a modern day example. Uh, there are four capitals of fashion in the world today. Can anybody name the four? Just call them out. What was that? Paris, Milan, New York, London. There you go. Now, once again, you were like, Roseville. Okay. <laughs> Galleria Mall, center stage. So the reason why I bring this up is that in those four centers, what happens is some pretty intense and creative and weird and psycho things in fashion show up in these areas. Their job is to say in the season of where we're at with fashion, of what has gone before and what is coming next, we will then disseminate and break down and figure out this is the portion we're going to run with. When those centers determine something like that, it in little tiny ways, it bleeds out. This is what Athens was doing. They would have the Supreme Court of philosophy, and they would kind of take some really heavy ideas, and if they approved it, it would kind of disseminate out through the world. So how incredible that Paul is in the very center of new ideas. This is clearly orchestrated by God. It says that as he's looking at all these idols in this city full of new ideas, they really embraced various religions. They were very tolerant of a lot of different ideas. So you would have statues and you'd have pillars and you'd have pictures and representations. You'd have art. Sometimes if you had a crew, you'd have a whole temple designed behind your religious ideals. Now they were all kind of in the pantheon group. So we've all heard of Greek mythology. We've all heard of Roman mythology, this idea that there were gods behind everything. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 honestly, it really affected our culture, did it not? Let, let's talk about what we call the planets. You realize all the planets are named after that mythology. They're all gods, right? So Jupiter and Saturn, and right? And, and honestly, my favorite was Pluto, and it got ripped off. 
right? It, but I didn't memorize that one because of mythology. It was actually Disney. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> it's, it's cute dog. Anyway, we move on. It affected everybody on this stuff. So he's looking around and he's saying, oh, there's Apollo and there's, there's uh, Helena and there's, you know, he starts looking at all these things and it really bothered him. Does how society operate, does, it, does any of that bother you? A lot of people are like, yeah, I hate it. Okay, okay, hold up, hold up. <laughs> World's going to hell in a handbasket. Okay, all right, we'll talk about it. But why did it bother him? I think it bothered him for kind of three primary reasons. Number one, he looked around and he said, wow, Yahweh's not getting any credit for what he's doing. And that's super sad. Because here you have a great and glorious God who's providing for people and loving on people and healing people and caring, and they're giving all the credit to other things. Oh, that was the God Apollo. That was the God Mars. That was, right? And, and I think that the lack of glory going to Yahweh really bothered him. I think the second thing was that he was looking around going, man, demons are getting a lot of credit around here. Because if there was any power that was behind it, it wasn't going to be God. So now all of a sudden you have demonic power and you got demons really trapping people. And I think he saw the bondage and he was like, mm, not cool. I'm not good with it. This is gross. This is freaking me out. The other thing was, I think he really cared about people and he saw that they were looking at something that was either empty or was going to hurt them. And he didn't like it. Now, let me refix you. I know you're bothered by society. Let me ask you why. Because a lot of us, we got a lot of angst. Oh, you know where the world's going. Oh my gosh, did you know what was happening? And then what we end up doing is just wringing our hands and stressing out. Do you realize that actually doesn't bring change? It just makes you less healthy. Does that make sense? So we're allowed to be bothered, but I hope we're bothered by the right things. I hope we're bothered, not that our team is losing. I hope we're not bothered by that. That's a horrible reason, whatever your team is. What I'm saying is I hope that you're bothered for the same reasons Paul was. Wow, I love the people around me. I love my neighbors. And they keep being unfulfilled. Or wow, God has been loving on them and he's getting zero credit here and that super bothers me. Or man, demons are picking on them. Jesus described crowds of people as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Notice he did not deem them enemies. That's very, very important. Okay, so we go back to this and Paul, instead of just complaining, instead of just being sad or mad and becoming a grumbler, he moved to do something about it in a loving fashion. He had an answer, but notice he didn't grab a sign and march around the marketplace talking about how terrible everyone was, right? He also didn't parade about degrading them for their beliefs because they were doing their best. He didn't boycott the Parthenon, right? And he didn't storm the Areopagus. What did he do? He sought for a loving, meaningful way to influence his culture. And until we learn how to do that, we will be irrelevant. There's a lot of steps in order to do that. But if you really want to make a difference, if you're really bothered by what's going on in society today, you need to think of a loving, meaningful way to influence your culture for the cause of Christ. That's going to make a difference, right? How did he do that? It says that 
he began to go, I see a problem here and I need to bring a message to it. But I do have a question for you. Is this all ancient? Are there any idols in modern day America? Yeah. I get it. Enter American Idol joke here. <laughs> okay, I get it. Okay, cool. What are they? Because probably what you're about to say, I would probably put in a demigod status. So for example, in the way that they would kind of make up these strata layers, there was supreme gods and then there was underlings, right? They would serve the other gods. They weren't quite the, the big dogs. Because I truly believe the greatest God of America is self. Everything we do is centered around us. We want to be independent. We want to be in charge. We want to do our own thing. We don't like when people get in our space, tell us what to do. Everything's about self. Every other demigod are the things you'll probably start to mention. So gods in America, our idols in America are things like money, right? But why is money important? We're not actually into the physical paper of it. We want it to feed us, right? We want more money so we have more independence. We want more money so we have more power. We'll talk about things like um, our big houses and wow, well, what is that? It's really about us. It's about us again. Okay, well, then there's other things that we really love in America that have become kind of idols. Convenience has become an idol. Right? It's this idea is, you know, fast food, everything's got to come to us, go our way, man, let's door dash it. Let, you know, everything is about us, right? And then we can look at things that we highlight like alcohol and sex. Well, what are those really about? They're feeding us. A big idol in America is escapism, is it not? Man, we love our TV. Man, we love our phones. Why? Because it's get away, get away, get away. It's numbing out. It's trying to feel better. These are things, but they're all about what? self. And as long as self is on the throne, God cannot be. Does that make sense? And so sure enough, does that bother you that everybody is looking at things because if they're only looking at themselves, it's not going to fulfill and they're still going to be empty. They need something more. It says, so what he did about it is he reasoned with the Jews, reasoned with the religious and reasoned in the marketplace with whoever would show up. What a cool ministry. The word reasoned is my favorite. Why? It means intelligent discourse. What is intelligent discourse? It means that we calmly present ideas, we present the foundation for those ideas to one another. Then we debate the value of the ideas with the shared goal of arriving at better truth. That has completely disappeared from America. There is no more intelligent discourse in the public sphere. How did that happen? And you all know what I'm talking about, right? See, what has become is vitriol, anger. I can't talk about anything anymore. I got to shout about everything. And what we have lost is any ability of nuance. We can't have any dialogue where we can say, well, it's kind of true in this sense, but it's not true in this sense. We can't do that. The minute I know what camp you're in, I have to either demonize you or make you Messiah, right? If you're on my team, you're great. If you're on another team, you're horrible. And the minute I track you're on that, I cannot listen that you may be 75% in this camp and 25% in this camp. We don't allow that. You have to be all one or all another. 
And you go, well, how did that happen? It is when the intelligent people were no longer listened to and we traded them out for entertainers. When our news shifted from truth to entertainment, we lost it. Because news is no longer trying to find facts, it's getting ratings. As long as you're looking for likes, as long as you're looking for followers, as long as you're looking for ratings, you cannot focus on truth and accuracy. You have to focus on attention grabbing. What that does is it makes the voices in our culture the loudest, most polarizing, most vicious. They get the best ratings, so they get the most airplay, and they are running our nation. There is no more intelligent discourse which is I'm more interested in seeking the truth of a matter than proving you wrong. Does that make sense? Now, for all the faults of this society, and the Roman Empire collapsed for a reason, at least they were still having intelligent discourse. We gotta give them credit for that. So Paul shows up in the marketplace on their turf where society intersects and just makes himself available. Why? Because he's kind of sowing seed out. Hey, you need some hope today? Hey, you blessed? How can I pray for you? What's going on with you? And he's just sowing seed out because he knows that the Holy Spirit will pick a divine appointment and allow it to lock. And then he starts a conversation. That's beautiful. What a wonderful way to minister. But what's interesting is we have to ask ourselves, where is our intersection of society? Because here's what's interesting. Where we live in our particular context, we are in suburbia, right? We're not actually in the inner city. Inner city is a little bit different, but we're in suburbia. In suburbia, there are not a lot of physical locations for intersection. You don't go to the mall to have deep discussions. If somebody stopped you coming out of buckle, you don't want to talk about politics with them. You're like, get out of my way, right? So what ends up happening is that we go, well, that can't be it. And you go, well, hold on, bars, clubs, coffee house. No, 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 those are intersections, but they meet a different need. They're actually about trying to be in proximity to people. They're actually about relationship building. They're not about other stuff. Okay, so where is society's intersection in today's world? It's online. It is the place where we talk about meaningful things. Everywhere online? Heck no. Selective places online, are they hard to find? Yes, but that is one of the only shots where all of society intersects. We have to figure out how to do that better and do that well, yeah? So Paul did that. Pick it up in verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some says, what does this seed picker wanna say? Okay, the word there says babbler in your Bible. It's better translated seed picker. It means you're a hack. You're only somebody who picks up all the seeds the other birds left behind. You don't have anything new. You don't have anything fresh. You don't have anything of your own. You grab what everybody else says, try to pull it together and look intelligent so people will follow you. That is a flat out insult. They're like, not interested, don't care about you. But others of them said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. 
We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That last piece was a little jab by Luke, who was like, guys, they are just into new, 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 new. When you're only into new and grabbing every new thought, right? Oh, that's true, though. That's got to be true. That's got to be true. You really have no foundation. You're shifting so fast, you have no base. So he didn't have a lot of respect for that, but that was their cool factor. New ideas, new ideas, new ideas. Well, praise God, Paul had some new ideas fell right in line, so they invited him to go to a very special place. Now, who are these groups that invited him? First one it mentions are the Epicureans. They were started by a guy named Epicurus. I know, right? This dude, 300 BC, okay? So they're going back a ways, at least 350 years, right? So his thought was that all of life is based on trying to seek ultimate pleasure. Now, you're like, ooh, hedonism, I liked it. Okay, no, stop, it's not what he meant. What he defined pleasure as was seek true inner peace, tranquility. Do not be driven by your fears any longer. So his whole point was, whatever in your life was bringing in agitation, rid yourself of it and find peace at all costs deep down in your heart so that you're okay. That was the Epicurean view, okay? The other view were the Stoics, right? Now, interesting, they were founded by a guy named Zeno. Gets no credit, nobody cares. When he preached, he preached in a roofed colonnade part of their town called a Stoa, and so his group were called the Stoics. Okay, cool, right? You go, I don't know this group. You do. You do, because his disciples were more famous than he was. His disciples were Plato and Aristotle. So if you know those guys, you're like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, big dog doesn't get any credit. Followers get all the credit. Okay, cool. So what was their view? Their view was simply this. Humanity is extraordinary. The whole goal of life is to become the greatest you can possibly be. We don't even know the limits of humanity. There is stuff out there in the ethereal. There is stuff out there in the imaginary that we can shoot for. We don't even know how high humanity can get. But I'm telling you, don't waste your life on any other trash. Become the fullest version of you. Get rid of all distractions. This whole garbage, well, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids. Forget that. Well, take all that stuff. It just distracts you from you. you got to be all about you. Self-discipline, strict. Dive in because you've got to become fully you. It was like, oh, that's hardcore, right? Now, what's intriguing about those viewpoints, because they were the two mega viewpoints of the time, is we look back and we're like, oh, well, it's interesting. I mean, in one sense, you can see their heart longing for something of peace. Can you see it? They know they have a void. They're trying to figure it out. And we kind of look at them and go, oh, you're silly. It, you know, that was never going to work. Okay, hold on. We call our attempts to find some truth, Democrat and Republican. And interesting about that, later on we go, wow, that was stupid. Because you go, well, which one was fully Jesus? And you're like, well, neither one. 
And then you start realizing, but hold on, hold on, are these not human beings trying their best to understand their world and understand society? It's, it's broken people trying to make up systems that make sense to them. Okay, we give them credit for that. All right, we're just trying to figure stuff out. It says this, so they brought him to the Areopagus. Anybody know what that is? It's actually the brother of Snuffleupagus. <laughs> Don't write that down. That is, that is not true, okay? Areopagus literally means, uh, is, it means the hill of Ares. Ares is a god, right, in their view, right? So if he has a hill, if he has an area that's a high lifted up platform and it was dedicated to Ares, you would go, oh, that's interesting. It's Ares Hill. And you go, well, okay, who cares? Because Ares is his Greek name. What's his Roman name? Mars. This is Paul at Mars Hill. If you ever hear the phrase Mars Hill, this is it. It's simply the same name, one's Roman, one's Greek. Okay, cool. The coolest thing about the Areopagus, which uh, in my opinion, I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's a literal location. The northwest corner of the marketplace sat the Supreme Court of Philosophers. They were the big dogs. They would rope their area off. Anybody could watch. Anybody could listen in. You cannot participate. They had a couple rules. One of their rules was, don't you come in here with flattery. We are not interested in you being winsome. We're interested in your thoughts. Let your thoughts be what they are. We will weigh them. Notice how I told you that like in Milan and all those places, you'd have these higher ups determine what fashion we will accept. This crew would accept philosophies. How amazing that they allowed Paul to go before their Supreme Court. You think that's not a divine appointment? Why would they even bring this guy there? Sure enough, he had an audience with some pretty incredible people. So how did he do? Pick it up in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I wish to explain to you. Wow, what a beautiful way to start. Let's pause right there. It's really hard to have meaningful discussion or debate with anyone in the world if you do not know what makes them tick, what they care about, what's important to them. Notice he walked around the city and said, I have looked at your objects of worship. You see, as long as the church is not paying attention to culture, we're going to be irrelevant. Look at what people care about. Why do they care about it? Why is alcohol such a big deal? What are you trying to fill? What are you trying to discover? What are you trying to hide from? What are you wrestling with? Because if I can find that out, I can show you where the better version is in Jesus. But if I don't know what you need, I'm going to start talking about stuff you don't care about. So he looked through, he said, guys, I got to tell you right now, you're looking for truth. I appreciate that. And as a matter of fact, you guys kind of left the door open here and I would like to walk through that door. I want to talk to you about the unknown God. Pick it up in verse 24. Let me describe him to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, the creator. He is also the master then, correct? He is Lord of heaven and earth. 
If he's that big, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. I mean, he's the one that gives all things to mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made us. He made from one man of every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. But he made all this stuff for a reason. Verse 27, that we should seek God and perhaps grope our way toward him and maybe find him. Okay, let's pause. Masterful. Begins totally non-offensive. Guys, I would like to talk about gods. They're like, yeah, that's what we do here. And he's like, now, understand what if, and I'm positing it out there, I'm just sharing with you, what if there was a supreme God above all gods? And now they were like, well, we have kind of ladders, so yeah, I would imagine somebody's at the top. Okay, go on. Okay, so let's say he's the creator of us, right? And they're like, following. Okay, cool. If he's the creator, he then gets to say what we do because the creator gets to determine what the creation is for. Is that correct? So he is both the master and authority as well. All right. I think I know where you're going with this. All right, cool. So when he made stuff, he actually made us too, right? And that's kind of a big deal because that means we're somewhat connected to him. And he made all of creation around. But if he's that big, he can't be contained by humans. Is that correct? Well, I guess not. So we can't be like, oh, a temple holds him or an image. Do you notice I'm not wearing anything that represents Yahweh? And the reason why is anything that I try to put out, it's not good enough. The minute you start saying, well, he's kind of like, you're shrinking him, stop it. No, 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 no. So no, honestly, it's what you're looking at with all these idols and everything, it's actually a little bit more dishonoring than it is honoring, if I could be honest with you. Notice what he's doing. He's laying this beautiful foundation of what they agree with, what they believe, and he's starting to lead them into a different way. He says this, and if God made stuff like this, he left his signature on it. Because every artist has their kind of little special way of doing things. You can always tell which artist it is. If I went to a, a gallery and I said, can you find a Monet? You would know his style. Well, can you find something from Michelangelo? You know his style right? We have right here, just on our stage and our screen, we have an artist. We have Colin who's, who's designing in front of us. I have a number of his artwork pieces, and I can picture them in my mind. That means I know his style. I know his handiwork. His signature, in a sense, is in all of it. So if God made all the stuff around us, some of it can really reflect kind of his nature. You don't know about his personality, but you can certainly tell certain things about him. So it's not just stuff, it's meaningful stuff. We are not just stuff. We are meaningful stuff. And what that means is, I think we have a responsibility to connect. You guys following? Check this out. Verse 27, and to be honest, you guys, God's actually not far away from us at all. For to quote your own philosopher, Epimenides, in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your poets like Erastus said, we are God's offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that 
his divine being can be limited to something like gold or silver or stone or art or imagination of man. Huh. That was a pretty cool move. You guys, I don't think God's really far. I think he's right here. And I think if he's right here, he wants relationship. And if he wants relationship, we have to start looking at things different. Because everything I'm seeing that you're doing right now is an attempt to control. And I'm not quite sure you can control if it's really God. I think he's in control. Is that correct? And they're all starting to spin in their minds. Man, this is really, really good. This is interesting, right? Now, one caution. What he is doing is contextualizing the gospel. He is taking that which makes sense to them and clarifying it and moving it into truth. We have to be very cautious on this because, so for example, you know how we read John 1, 1, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, that word logos, Paul did not make up. He grabbed that word out of their society and began to give a new meaning to the concept that is totally legit. That is a very connective point. Where we fall into trouble is when we start connecting characters. So, for example, it's very tempting if you're in a Muslim country that you're talking to these devout people that are truly seeking something that matters and they're trying to reach out to God and they start talking about God being Allah. It would be a mistake to say, yeah, yeah, let me tell you more about Allah because that's a character that's already established. God and Allah are not the same. Yahweh is different than Allah, so you don't get to link those two. It will cause problems. You actually have to say, okay, I actually I appreciate you see Allah. I'm telling you about Yahweh. That's different, okay? So because what happens is when we try to really relate to people, sometimes we start bending things a little too far, and it starts losing its meaning, all right? All right, this is where he goes to challenge. Verse 30. Men of Athens, the times of ignorance in the past God overlooked, but now he commands everywhere, everyone to repent. Change your mind, turn around, and do it different. Because he has actually fixed a day in the future in which he will come back and judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's already appointed. And we know who that man is because he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Oh, snap. What did he just do? He just turned a corner real hard. What he just said was, hey, guys, in the past, all we had was God's stuff. And I get it. God was super gracious with us because he was like, you can't know me personally through my stuff. You can know a lot about me, but you can't know me personally. So I'm going to overlook a lot, a lot of this. But you guys, about 40 years ago, you see, he came to earth. The Son of God showed up. And his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, I get it. This is like crazy for you to follow with me. But I'm telling you, I saw him. I've interacted with him. And once God accommodates himself that much, once God shows up himself on our planet, it's a whole new game. We can no longer be like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He's like, no, 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 you do know. He's right there. 
We will always be held accountable for what we should know. Well, in the past, we couldn't know, but we can now. And therefore, there is a responsibility to interact with our God on his terms in his way. Therefore, it's going to demand you stop being God and turn your head around and start treating him as God. Whoa, that's pretty challenging, right? So how'd it go? Well, about like every message. Pick out verse 32. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead part, some mocked. They were like, knew it, trash. But others said, nah, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul left, but some men joined him and they believed, among whom were Dionysius, a member of that very council, and a significantly influential woman named Damaris, and a bunch of other people you wouldn't know if I told you. Remember, that was a divine appointment. You know how influential Dionysus should be? I mean, he's a big dog, and he becomes a Christian? As a matter of fact, tradition tells us that Dionysius became the first bishop of Athens. So he went into the ministry and became a leader in the church. That's why Paul highlighted him. Damaris, the woman, was a high influential person. Nobody else needed to be named because nobody would have known them anyway. Does that make sense? All right, so let's close it with this. Who and where is your Athens? Because you have to have these meaningful conversations in your own way with people that matter to you. This is what we're called to do. So we look for open opportunities because we are sowing seeds and sometimes God opens hearts and we walk into that opportunity and we share the truth. But we share it because we care about them not for a notch in our belt. Amen? Let's close in prayer and get out of here. Yeah. Come on. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you that you would be so kind to accommodate us, that you would even share this material. You don't have to share any of this stuff. You didn't have to come down here, but your love keeps compelling you to do the extraordinary. So God, we want to praise you, praise you, praise you. You're the king of this church. You're the king of this world. You're the king of heaven and earth. And I just want to praise you, God, that you are the mighty one, the one that has done all things for us. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. So Lord, right now would you allow us to fall in love you all fall in love with you all over again would you allow us to walk out of here with our heads held high confident that we can have meaningful conversations with the people around us that we would be able to say i know i can tell my story i know i can share a little bit of the good news so father would you open up opportunities open up doors of opportunity that we might walk into your glory in the name of jesus we pray amen have a wonderful weekend